cerești Nu voi vedea ce sus în ceruri Tatăl Sfânt mi-a pregătit Și ce-am dorit Ierusalime mult iubit Voi vedea ce sus în ceruri Tatăl Sfânt ne-a pregătit Și ce-am dorit Ierusalime mult iubit Slăvit să fie Tatăl, Fiul și Duhul Sfânt. Amin. Frații și surori, vă spunem un bun venit în casa Domnului și doresc din toată inima ca Domnul să ne binecuvânteze pe fiecare în parte. Dorim să deschidem programul în această după masă cu o rugăciune. Vrem să îi mulțumim Domnului, să readucem laudă și slavă pentru tot ce a făcut El pentru noi până prezent. Ne-a binecuvântat, suntem în casa Lui și să nu uităm că dacă suntem aici, El nu este aici. Este un timp pierdut. Însă când El este prezent, El este acela care ne binecuvântează slăvit să fie Domnul. Psalmul 31 spune, Doamne, în Tine mă încred să nu fiu dat de rușine niciodată. Izbăvește-mă în dreptatea ta, pleacă-ți urechea spre mine, grăbește de mi ajută. Fii pentru mine o stâncă ocrotitoare, o cetățuie unde să-mi găsesc scăparea. Și versetul 3, căci tu ești stânca mea, cetățuia mea și pentru numele tău mă voi povățui și mă vei călăuzi. Amin. Suntem în casa lui, în prezența Domnului și dorim din toată inima că Domnul să asculte rugăciunile noastre în această după masă. El să ne binecuvânteze și apoi aducem cauzele, problemele noastre. Totodată aducem familiile pentru care ne rugăm în această săptămână. Buliga, Denis, Bulzanc și Cristi și Alina... Buda, Adrian și Estera, dorim ca Domnul să poarte de grijă aceste familii, frații și surori. Cred că fiecare dintre noi cunoaștem și știm în familiile noastre sunt nevoi, sunt probleme, sunt necazuri de multe ori, însă Dumnezeu este acela care le cunoaște pe toate și niciunul dintre noi nu suntem necunoscuți înaintea Domnului. Dumnezeu cunoaște și știe fiecare apă și dorește din toată inima că El să iei aminte. Atâtea cauze și probleme le avem de boală, de suferință. Aducem Cauzele acestea care de multe ori să știți că poate noi nu ne gândim să le aducem înaintea Domnului, dar este important. Acest virus care străbate prin, între, prin lumea aceasta, de multe ori oamenii aduc multă frică în inimile noastre și multă, multă um, ne, neliniște, însă Dumnezeu este acela care poate să dea liniște. El este acela care poate și se amintea de dimineață. Doar Dumnezeu este acela care ne poate păzi. Noi facem partea noastră. Însă dacă Domnul nu este cel care păzește, degeaba o facem noi și Domnul să ne ajute la lucrul acesta. Și apoi, înspre încheiere, vrem să ne rugăm pentru țara de misiune. Belize este o țară în sudul Americii, graniță cu Guatemala. Dorim ca Domnul să binecuvânteze misionarii de acolo, să binecuvânteze lucrarea lui. Și citeam despre această țară și este și în buletin. Tot mai mult numărul creștinilor evanghelici crește și este un lucru bun. Este un lucru bun și știm că Dumnezeu este acela care lucrează prin Duhul Sfânt. Așa cum stăm, haideți să aducem aceste cauze înaintea Domnului. Amin.
Te rog în numele Tău, Doamne, să porți de grijă copiilor Tăi. Te rog în numele Tău, Doamne, și în seara aceasta, binecuvință, Doamne, și să triagă astăzi. Binecuvință, Doamne, și să cântarea de laudă. Binecuvință, Doamne, și să cântarea de Evanghelie. Binecuvință, Doamne, Oh, he is my 
never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, never gonna let me down. Domnului care este bun față de viața noastră. De aceea ne adunăm în numele Domnului să ne închinăm înaintea Lui și să-L onorăm pentru tot ce a făcut, face și avem încredințare că ne va avea în mâna Lui pentru tot restul vieții noastre. Împreună cu corul mix ne vom închina înaintea Domnului, după care un grup de tineri laudă de asemenea pe Domnul și ne bucurăm că fratele Peter Boris is back home. După aceste puncte muzicale, dânsul va avea un cuvânt de salut, de îndemn, un raport pe unde a umblat ce a făcut, de ce a lipsit dintre noi și așa mai departe. Vrem să-l cunoaștem și să știm bine. Înainte să ocupați locurile, dați mâna unii cu alții și salutați-vă numele Domnului.
cine Isus, pun la îndoială a mea credință și spun că voi suferi răspuns. De nimeni nu mă tem pe tine când te chem, lumele tău cu drag eu îl vestesc. În fața cui voi sta, nu mă voi clătina, căci legea ta Good evening, church. Um, as anyone who travels, I could tell you without any doubt in my heart 
that uh, if you travel and you keep an eye out and you work with youth, Maranatha Romanian Church of God has the best youth out of any other Romanian church, period. It's true, right, Eddie? It's true. It's true. Eddie, my best friend, is not even the youth leader anymore, and he still thinks it's true. Amen. So tonight I was given the opportunity, this wonderful opportunity, to come here and, uh, and to testify. And if anyone knows what it means to testify, it means to give an account. I will give you my testimony tonight, as though I was in court, amen. Uh, an account of what God has done in my life, undeservingly to me, but what He has done and what He is doing in my life, it is my testimony. It is my conviction, it is my, my experience, it is my living of and out of what God is currently doing in my life. And why? To encourage the body of Christ. To show you if God could do it in me, He could do it in you, amen, and He is doing it in us, amen. Uh, the other thing tonight that's happening is tonight's topic is worship. And let me tell you what worship is to me. Worship is not singing because God has not blessed me with the ability to sing. Worship is not playing an instrument because I cannot carry a tune in a bag, let alone sing it out on an instrument. I cannot bang a drum or blow into a flute or, or carry a rhythm or strum a guitar. But what I can do is do what I believe worship is at its most truest form. Worshiping God is taking something that you're holding on to dearly, that you don't want to let go of, and releasing it to the Father, giving it to Him. This is mine. It's what I have, and I'm going to give it to you as an act of worship. Amen? Amen. Now, there's a verse that has been sticking into my head lately, and I can't get rid of it ever since I read it. It's out of Proverbs 19.21. It says, Many plans are in a man's mind. But it is the Lord's purpose for him that will stand. Amen? It's the, how many plans do you and me have for our lives and the direction of our lives and the way that we think it should go? But it is the Lord's plan that stands. I talk to Eddie and my friends all over the country all the time. Hey, Peter, what are you doing? Well, if it was up to me. This is what I would do. I would go into business. I would make millions of dollars. I'd buy my wife a nice car. I would do this and that and this and that. But at the end of the conversation, if it's with another minister like Eddie, we said, alas, I'm going to pray about it and do what, Eddie? Do what God says. And do what God says. Because I make all kinds of plans, but at the end of the day, I can't think of anything more scarier to do than be outside of the will of God. Amen? Which leads me to the first part of my testimony tonight is... is uh, how I ended up before you here in Sacramento. About four, four and a half years ago, God called me and my wife to leave everything. And it was terrifying. And it was the scariest thing in my life. God said, move to Sacramento and build a church. I wasn't sure of myself because my faith was weak. So I said, Lord, if it really is, you speak to my wife. My wife had a vision. She said, Peter, we're moving to Sacramento. And we did the craziest thing anyone in our circle of influence ever did. And we sold everything, quit our jobs. Everything was going great. We gave up our house that we had for 14 years. I had a smoking interest rate. The government just knocked down a bunch of my principal. Everything was going good. I was just made a partner in the, the company I was working in. And my wife was at the top of her seniority after 10 years of serving at the same hospital. And this crazy thing happened. All those prayers, you know, when you go to the altar, and say, Father, here I am. Send me. I will go. Careful when you say that because one day the Lord might be listening and he'll say, hey, guess what? I heard your prayer, Peter. Check. I'm going to call you. You're going to Sacramento. Pack your bags. 
The crazy thing is, is nobody fought it in my family. My sons were for it. The Lord was with us. His grace was sufficient. My wife was for me. It wasn't easy. We moved here. And I had all this fear. I had no family in this town. I had, I had nobody but Eddie and a couple of youth. I didn't have any job besides the job I was going to work for church. She had no job security. She wasn't even licensed, my wife, as a respiratory therapist to work in this state. It was the scariest thing, leaving all my comfort, leaving the place I grew up and leaving the place where I was serving, all these things, and to come to his new place. But guess what? God was in control. Why? Because I took the thing that I held most dear. You know what that was? It's easy to give money. It's easy to give time, but it's hard to give fear because sometimes you like to hold fear so near and dear to your heart, you don't want to let go of it and security. And God, what of my family? And God, what of me? And what of my job? And what of money? And all these things that I wanted to hold on to so tightly and keep control of. And God was saying, now it is your time to worship me with it, to lay him down at my feet, to see what I could do, to prove me, to see how big a God I am. And I did church, and it was the only thing that I ever did. And let me give you a testimony about what happened. I gave God fear and, and insecurities and all kinds of anxieties. And the beautiful thing that happened is he took all my worthless things that I worshiped him with, that I laid at his feet, and he gave me such a better thing I could have never managed in all of my life. I came to Sacramento and he gave me a family. I mean a family. I was gone for one month and I received countless hugs and I'm so glad you're home, Peter. This Sunday was nothing but welcome home. It was so good to see you. Peter, we've missed you. This is my family and I'm so happy because of it. I left my family for insecurity and I found a whole bigger family. I found people who would sponsor me for any mission trip that I would go for around the world. I found young men and women and ushers and peoples and servants in the church that would follow me to the ends of the the earth being the hands and feet of Jesus. What a great thing because I trusted him and I exchanged my worthless things for his amazing priceless things. What a great exchange. And let me give you just the best testimony I have. It's worth it. It's worth giving him everything you've got because in exchange, he gives you everything that he's got. And his plans and his ways are so much greater. You could not ever fathom them. You could never think about how great things could be because you have your plans. But God's will, praise God, they're the ones that stand. Amen. His ways are higher. His ways are better. And I can't wait to see what he's got in store. Not for me, Madanata, for all of us. If we would just give in and follow him. Amen. 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 Some crazy things happened while I was here. I didn't know. I thought I was going to come help you guys build a church. That God was going to send me to help you even though I didn't feel worthy. And God did in a sense. I came here four years ago. And next month actually will be three years since I've been on payroll in the construction project. And as a church, never me by myself, but as a church, we took a drawing and we made it into real life. We took something that was on paper in the hallway and with, with all you guys as volunteers and donating money and your time and your effort, we erected that beautiful building you see outside. And you know what? In the next few months, it'll be closed in and in the dry. And that's all a testimony to God. Praise God for that. Amen. And I thought that was my primary thing, but God was so much better. He gave me a new family. He gave me friends and he grew me. He grew me. I got more out of the deal than you ever did. Hey, I made it came here and together we might have saved over a million dollars doing things as volunteers and as in the church. And that's a drop in the back in the bucket compared to what he's done for me. 
What he's done for me is I got to have my wife home for the first time. My wife had worked full-time nights for 10 years at the same hospital. And we've been married for, for 20 years this year. And since we moved to Sacramento, it was the first time in our marriage that she was able to stay home and do what God created her to do. Minister to me. And boy, was it good. Oh my God, was it good. Desserts and dinners and breakfasts and lunches. Oh man, I came here with more hair and skinny and I'm leaving fat and bald. But I am full. This is for sure, church. She had never had the opportunity to stay home and just be a mom and a wife. And that's something I'll, I'll always be eternally grateful for the job that I had here at Maranata. Is my wife got to come stay home and just minister to me and the boys for two and a half years. It was the greatest thing. It was so great. I had new problems that I never had before. She would call me at work. What do you want for dinner? I don't care. Why are you bothering me? What a great problem, right? Just make some food. I don't care. What a great problem to have. I, I pray every young man in this church has this problem someday, that your beautiful wife will call you and say, what should I make you for dinner? It's a great problem. Fantastic problem. I thank God for the... Amen? Amen. Amen. I got to have my wife home. That's been the greatest thing. Now she works, and that's okay too. But I still pray someday I get to have her home all the time. Uh, since I've been here, my son Peter has had some of his most formative years in the Lord. My son Peter came here. He got water baptized. He joined the worship team. He sings up here most every Sunday in front of you guys and on youth nights. He's part of an keep over here where he worships and he serves God in this church. And at the end of the month, he's going on a second mission trip together. This church played a great role and this youth ministry played a role in my son finding out who the Lord is for himself. And now he serves my father as I serve my father. And there is no greater joy in a man's life than to see his sons pick up where he left off. And I'm so proud of that. But boy, more than anything, I'm so glad that I gave my worries of how to take care of my family to God because he took care of them better than any way I ever could. Amen. I worshiped him with the things that I had and he did better with them than I ever could. Amen. Amen. Even Isaac's part of kids choir. He doesn't understand a word he's singing. <laughs> Not a word. Not a stitch. He understands bataya, mancare, the, the basics. But that's it. Some other things that I learned uh, over the course of the last three years at Maranatha have changed who I am as a man, and I'm, I will always be eternally grateful. Always. I've learned, uh, I didn't know I needed to put my wife first. A few years ago, after she had been home already, taking care of me, becoming priceless to me, uh, we had a health scare, and I thought she was going to pass away. She had some symptoms that were conducive with like a brain tumor. And she actually went in for two CAT scans. And I remember breaking down and praying with Mike and Eddie and thinking to myself, I, I, I sat and I thought about it and I said, you know what? I love my wife more than anything. Besides the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I love her more than my kids. I love her more than myself. I love her more than the ministry. I love her more than anything else I'll do. More than any other person in this earth, I love her and I can't afford to lose her. And God used that tragic situation to do something to me that I didn't know needed to be done. She had to gain a new position in my life. I had to see her for whom she is. She's my partner. She's my rib. She's, she's my everything. I can't do ministry without her. I can't raise my sons without her. I can't preach without her. I can't even get dressed without her. 
But God, God had to, he had to open my eyes to it through a hardship. But that happened while I was at Maranatha. And he placed her first and foremost. I realized that I love her more than my sons. I love her more than anything else. And I thank God for it. It made my marriage stronger. It made my walk with him because of the way my marriage is now stronger. Amen? It was fantastic. Another thing that God has taught me while I've been at Maranatha is how to behave. You think to yourself, Peter, you're pretty wild. You didn't see me before Maranatha. I was a lot more unkept and even more wilder. But before, I used to get in fights with the people at church, and I'd get to go home and just not show up to church for a month or two. But guess what? For the last three years, I live at church. <laughs> I can't run away from any one of my problems. If I have a problem with the comitet, the pastors, people in church, parishioners, I have to talk it out, figure it out, not get into a fight, and resolve every single one of my problems. And you might think it's something small, but it's something big for me. It's something that God grew in me. And I didn't realize he would do it by living at church, but he did. Because to his greatness and as a testimony, I've lived here for three years. And I haven't had a fight with any of you. I've never raised my voice at you guys. I've never cursed at you guys. We've never gotten in any fights. And that's a big thing. You think, oh, Peter, you're a minister. You shouldn't even think like that. You didn't know me before. God created something big in me through that. Amen. And that's a testimony to his greatness. He, uh, one of the greatest things he taught me is uh, I have to be submissive to his will even when it's not my way. When I first came here, I thought everything would be different. I thought I would, I would progress in my ministry in a different way. I thought the church would get done faster. I thought more things would happen the way I wanted it to happen. And a few years ago, God stopped me and is like, hey, you didn't come here because things were going to happen the way you want them to. You came here because I told you to come here. And I realized, God, even if nothing goes my way from here on forward with this church, with this project, if you don't do one more thing, it doesn't matter. I'm going to do it faithfully just because you said so. Just because you said so. Even though it doesn't look the way I want it to look. Even though I don't look the way I want it to look. God, you told me, and I'll do it just to be faithful. Amen? Amen. And one of the biggest things he's changed in my life at Maranatha, one of the biggest blessings he's given me, is he's changed my vision for my ministry. About a year ago, God started stirring up things and started talking to different people in my life. And before I went on my last uh, African mission trip, he spoke through a prophet. He spoke to two friends of mine. He spoke through a different leader of mine. And they all said the same thing. Up until that point, every mission trip I did was about me going to experience God. Because when I go on mission trips, I pray and God moves. It's addictive. You go out in the mission field. You come up against trials and tribulations. You have no choice. You pray and God is as real as the, as the, the hand in front of your face. God becomes so real on these mission trips because you go out there and you're his hands and you're his feet. And you're bringing his gospel and his good news to the people who are most impoverished and who need it the most. And it's such a great honor and thing and then people kept telling me and coming to me and say Peter it's not about you it's not about the project it's about the people who go on the projects with you 
And I could tell you that God changed my heart about what my ministry is about. And it's no longer about me going on mission trips to experience God in a new and a real way and see him answer my prayers. But God says, Peter, your ministry is going to be different now. Now your ministry will be to facilitate opportunities to bring lay people who aren't ordained, who don't sing, who don't preach, out to the ends of the earth to be my hands and my feet. So that the joy you had in doing what you did, other people will have it now. And that's one of the greatest things I'm thankful for. I'm so thankful that God did those things in me. As far as missions go, I, wanna, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I don't have that much time. I've spoken too much already. I wanted to bring this up. And as I was praying to God this, this afternoon, I was like, God, why do you want me to bring this up? And he says, just bring it up. Last year, I went on nine missions in five different countries. I've been on a lot of mission trips in the last 10 years. Do you want to know where it started? About 10 years ago, Martha Montiano at Agape Bible Church came to me and she said, Peter, are you going with the messengers to Cornell Ursus Church in Burundi, Africa? And I said, Martha, I didn't even really think about it, but I can't afford it. And she says, oh, is that it? I'll buy you a ticket. And she bought me a ticket, and that one plane ticket changed the entire course of my life, my children's life, my ministry, and what I do to serve God and how I worship Him. If you're in this church and God's telling you to give somewhere, sometimes the ramifications are a lot bigger than $1,000. They're a lot bigger than $2,000. When God tells you to sow into someone's life, it might be someone like me. It might have looked like a plane ticket at the beginning, but it was God opening a door for my destiny. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Three years ago when I came to this church, I learned about men and women of action. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a ministry made up of, get this, lay people who go serve God through construction all over the world. It's been around for 30 years with thousands of projects in the can already done. And they do these projects all over the world. And, and, and three years ago, I didn't have enough money to go to a rally in Cleveland, Tennessee. And the youth group of this church, Eddie was the youth leader back then, says, Peter, we're going to sponsor you to go. Just go. Take your wife. We'll even pay for your wife to go. I wasn't used to receiving these kinds of gifts. I went to this rally. And I sat down and I was crying with my wife because what I had been doing up until that point, these people were already doing all over the world. And they were doing it better than me. And they were doing it more efficiently than me. And they were doing it with better results and I was doing it by myself. And I was sitting there and I was listening to testimonies and I was seeing people who have been on 100 mission trips, 80 mission trips, 30 mission trips, all over the world, 20 countries, 40 countries, all over this creation doing mission work. And I sat there and I thought to myself, honey, how can we be part of this? And as I was sitting in the back there, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He spoke to me, one day you're going to be part of this in a leadership manner. And I can't even go into what God told me because it was so big, it terrified me. And I thought to myself, God, how can this possibly be? I don't even know anybody in this room. I know two people in this whole room. How are you going to tell me, God, that someday I'm going to be part of this great ministry? This is like a dream come true. Little did I know what God had in store. Because I said, God, call me and I'll answer. Send me and I'll go. God brought this uh, new director of the ministry into my life. The first year I went, they changed directors. This guy's name is Phil Thompson. His wife's Naomi. They're like a mom and dad to me now. Um, they decided to go on vacation to San Francisco, and they, they heard about me through Tony Lane. 
And uh, they said, Peter, you're out there. Why don't, you, uh, why don't you be our tour guide? And uh, I showed him around. We hit it off. And next thing you know, this guy becomes one of my best friends. One of my best friends. He started speaking in my life. I go to Africa. I get to take him to Africa for the first time. He thought he was going to die. It was hilarious. Now in hindsight, it's hilarious. But we had such a good time together. We went on mission trips together. We went to the Bahamas together. And, and little, little did I know I was going to go on all these different trips for the organization. Long story short, God always knew what he was doing. God knows what he's doing. Amen? Let me testify to you. Even when you don't see it, God is working. Amen? Amen. Even when you don't have any idea, you give him your worthless scraps, your life that doesn't seem like anything. And he gives you beauty for ashes. It's the most amazing thing. You give him your fear. You give him your anxieties. You give him your securities. And he gives you amazing things. About a year ago, Phil came to me. He's like, Peter, I really need you to be part of my team. I need you to work for the ministry. I need you to work for men and women in action. I need, you, I need you in disaster. I need you to be my international disaster relief coordinator. I need your help with all these mission trips. You're great at this. <laughs> when I was in my lowest and I was by myself at work and I was having such a bad day, this man calls me and he says, hey, I don't know anyone better than you to do this kind of job. That's how much I believe in you. And God knows what he's doing at all times. Amen? Amen. Amen. So he kept bugging me, and I kept thinking, no way I'm building a church in Sacramento. I can't leave. And then finally, uh, last September, he, he made it clear, hey, will you move and be my helper? I said, you know what? Church of God is laying people off. If you could secure me a position in an organization that's laying people off, sure. Last November, I was in a coffee shop in Chicago at Telescorcia and Eddie, and I told him about the potential of the job. And I said, guys, what do you think about this? Like, man, this is exciting. You're going to work for the Church of God. That's really exciting, you know? Uh, you're going to do what you were made to do. Go on missions and lead people on missions. I was like, yeah, it's exciting. It'll probably not happen because I'm used to that. I'm very negative usually. Oh, you know, it probably won't happen, you know? You know, it's, it sounds nice, but nah, come on. Who are we kidding? It's Peter Burroughs, right? <laughs> I'm good. Lost the and uh, welding on top of trusses. That's what I do. Phil's like, hey, pray about it. I'm going to go talk to World Missions, and I'm going to go talk to J. David Stevens, and I'm going to go talk to Tim Hill. I was like, really? He goes, yeah, just pray about it. So I prayed about it. And then you hear these names, and since we're Romanians, it maybe it doesn't mean anything to you. But he went to go meet with Tim Hill. He's the president of Church of God. He's in charge of 7 million members. And he says, hey, there's this guy, Peter Boros. I really believe in him, and I can't do my job without him. I need his help. And Tim Hill, on the spot, said, you know what? I agree with it. Here's half his first year's salary. And then Phil called me. He goes, dude, it couldn't have gone any better. <laughs> it couldn't have gone any better. I was like, oh, my God, this is insane. Not that I got Tim Hill to agree to pay me half my first year's That wasn't that Tim Hill knew my name. It was insane to me that Tim Hill knew who I was and had a meeting about me. That made me feel so special. You have no idea. And then, and then Phil's like, hey, I'm going to go meet with the director of uh, World Missions. You know, director of world missions, you know, 36,000 churches around the world. No big deal, right? Phil's like, type me up a resume. I type him up a resume. I send it off to Phil. He gives it to them. The guy's obviously qualified. What did Tim Hill give you? Half his, half his salary. He goes, here's another half of his salary. And then it was God's confirmation to me. Next thing you know, boom, I have a job. Then I started thinking to myself, oh, my God, I have a job. 
I'm going to be full-time ministry, not building a church, but doing missions. And you don't understand it, it, the, the name. The name doesn't do it justice. The name is International Disaster Relief Coordinator. It, it's just a name, but you don't know what it means to me. What it means to me is so much more than that. It means that I get to go. God saw it so fit. And look, man, I, I'm not bragging, but I'm bragging on my Lord and to my Savior. You got to understand, God saw it fit to send somebody like me, and he could do it with you, in disasters, to be the representation of himself, his hands and his feet when people are at their lowest of lows, when they're in the miry clay to extend my hand out and pick them up. And it was the most honoring thing in the world. You think it's just a name. It's not just a name. Look what God could do. I was the black sheep of my family. You understand what I'm telling you? He is a great God. Worship him with everything you have because he deserves it. Amen. He deserves it, church. He deserves it. And then what did God do after that? He, 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 he gave me a reality, reality check. Hey, I have a job and I've been offered another job. What are the frats going to say? You know what happened? I talked to Eddie. You know what Eddie said? Are you kidding me? This is a fantastic job. This is for you. Don't even worry about the church. God has it. Isn't that not what you said? I said, Eddie, but what about the project? He goes, don't even worry about it. God's behind all of this. I'm going to be leaving in January, not January, in June, at the end of June. In July, I had a board meeting. I had to go tell the board that I have another job. And you know what happened? You know how good God is? As terrified as I was, and as, as hard as some people took it, some people came to me. You know what they said? Peter, what are we going to do without you? We'll never find someone else like you. And of course, I'm not going to lie to you. That feels pretty good. That feels very good. Oh, come on. You're going to find someone twice as good. No, you're not. <laughs> you know? and boy, it felt good. It's like, oh, my God, what are we going to do without you? I was like, man, this feels pretty good. <laughs> I should have told you I was leaving a long time ago. <laughs> I leave to a job. While I'm gone, some people on our construction board decide to call Danny Brezelvon in Chicago. The guy is light years more qualified than me. He just got done being a project manager for a big church Romanian project over there that's like twice the size of our project. Meanwhile, he's been praying about moving back to Sacramento and was looking to God for a sign to move for him and his wife back to Sacramento. We call him and say, hey, we're looking for a project manager. He goes, I'll be done in a few months here. And that's great because Peter will be done in a few months here. Why don't you come here? While I was gone all the month of February, this this guy comes here, gets an interview, gets approved, loves the house that I built, will take over my job, and the job will seamlessly be taken over by a guy who is more qualified than me. Isn't God good, church? In all of this, he's not forgotten any of us. He's not forgotten Maranatha. He's not forgotten me. He's not, for, he's not forgotten my family. He's been faithful with all of it. And all I had to do is give him all my worthless scraps that I had because that's all who I am. Amen? Isn't God good? Doesn't he deserve all of our worship and all of our praise and not everything that we have? Amen. And, and uh, just a few more things that happened. Danny Brazovan's coming. Guess when he's coming? Right when we have to do the roof. Guess what he's really good at? Doing roofs. <laughs> we, we as men and women make plans on earth 
but it's God's plan and his will that will stand. And he keeps reminding me over and over again. I fuss and I worry. And God, Joseph, what's going to happen? God's like, I got this. I got this. I'll send somebody there. He'll go right in there. God, I got I to gotta come up with a down payment. I'm going to move to Tennessee. I'm not going to live at church for free anymore. I need a house. My buddy Gabe calls me, and this is why I was gone all of February. I, I need some money to move. It's not a secret. It's nothing to be ashamed of. If you moved tomorrow to a new state where you knew nobody but two people, wouldn't you need some money? My buddy Gabe calls me and says, hey, man, I got a job, and this time it's not building a church. Praise God. He goes, uh, it's a money job. Would you like to go with me? I, I need you to go with me and make some money. And it, actually, while we're going to the job, he's like, I don't even know why I took this job. I don't even need it. You know what I was thinking in my mind? I know why he took this job, because I need it. I need it, dude. I left. I didn't take a salary for February, but I made, I don't even want to say, I made, I made what I would have made in a few, few months over here. Let's just say it that way. All at once, and God took care of every single aspect of it. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you give him your insecurities, if you give him your time, if you give him your life, me and my wife on a regular basis have people come to us and says, you guys are crazy. They literally say, you guys are nuts. You guys are nuts. Why are you guys moving? What's wrong with you guys? You know what's crazy? And the evening when the day's done and me and my wife are in our room by ourselves, you know what we tell each other? We couldn't imagine anything crazier than living outside of his will. We couldn't imagine not doing and going where he's calling us to go and doing what he's told us to do. Amen, church? And that's my testimony for you guys tonight. My testimony is this. If you give him all that you have, if you worship him with everything, if you let go of what you hold most dearest to you, if you let go of all of it, he's faithful and just to give you something better in return. Amen? We keep back and we don't want to serve him because of fear. We keep back and we don't want to serve him. We don't want to go. We don't want to go where we're called. I can't think of anything scarier than being here without God instead of where he's sent me to be. I can't imagine being outside of God's will and needing him. I can't imagine being outside of God's will and my wife or my children getting sick. I can't imagine getting outside of God's will and I have to pray for something that I can't facilitate on my own. Church, worship him with your entirety of your life, with the entirety of your life. If that's not enough, I'll close with this. And uh, you might think now you're just bragging, and it's true. It's true, because I dropped out of high school twice, and this is a God thing. I could testify this is a God thing. Uh, we were praying about where Peter should go to college. And uh, he applied. He got into the program. He got into Lee University. Then he got into the nursing program at Lee University. And then we prayed about it, we prayed about it, and prayed about it. And though God wasn't good enough to this point, bringing us money, bringing us job, bringing us favors, bringing a replacement, man, uh, he got a ton of scholarships. He went and took his ACT, and I'm going to tell you this is a God thing. And why am I telling you this is a God thing? Because I have documentation telling you how bad I am at school. The kid somehow was my son, and he took his ACT, he scored a 30. Out of the 2 million people that took the test, he's in the top 5 percentile out of all of them. I don't know how he's my son, but I guarantee you he's mine. And uh, why, Domni. And he says Domni because he knows his best. It is Domnica 1 million percent. 
I don't know them Moldovan, you're good at school. But uh, uh, pastor said something so, so strong to me. He says, he didn't say just to announce that you're moving at the end of uh, June. He says, give a testimony. And to me, this whole ride has been a testimony. My place here at Maranatha, if I had to change my whole course of my history of my life, I wouldn't touch my time at Maranatha. If I hadn't taken a step and a leap of faith to come to Maranatha, the door for the ministry and the missions would have never opened. If I didn't spend three years at Maranatha and let God shape me, I wouldn't be the man that I need to be to walk through those doors that God opened because of Maranatha. You might not know why God's taking you through what he's taking you, but trust me, church. This is my testimony. This is what I'm telling you is true. He is in control, and he knows what he's doing. Amen? And all we have to do is give him everything. It's not easy. And I tell you what, it's, it's, it's not based on merit because I don't deserve anything that I've received. But God is good. Amen? Worship him with all you have. God bless. Pentru cei care poate n-ați înțeles în limba română, pardon, în limba engleză, am să traduc eu în românește. Fratele Peter a răspuns chemării Domnului pentru o altă fază în viața lui, să meargă și să lucreze de la un nivel național pe care l-a avut aici între noi, la un nivel internațional, o ușă care Dumnezeu i-a deschis de slujire, prima dată, Când mi-a spus personal lucrul acesta, nu știa exact cum voi reacționa, dar am spus așa cum cred că trebuie să spunem fiecare. Dumnezeu merită să fie onorat și glorificat și dacă El deschide o ușă, noi ne bucurăm pentru că oriunde va ajunge fratele Piră, se va spune că va pleca din biserica Maranata. Și pentru că Domnul l-a format și l-a pregătit pentru perioada aceasta, noi ne bucurăm. Dar în seara aceasta nu vrem să fie o seară să ne luăm toți batistele și să plângem. O să vină și ziua aceea când ne vom despărți de fratele, dar am vrut să auziți dumneavoastră. Pentru ca să fie șterse orice vorbe neadevărate, că biserica nu mai poate plăti, că fratele moi se l-a dat afară și comitetul... Pentru că, din păcate, oameni de nimic au fost și vor mai rămâne. Frații fratelui și mei de altă dată trăiește și Dumnezeu să-i mustre pe toți și care vorbesc minciuni. Amen. Mai zicem o dată amin. Asta o spun în dragoste. Pentru că noi avem o relație foarte bună cu fratele Piră, ne pare rău că pleacă, dar pe de altă parte ne pare bine că Dumnezeu îl călăuzește și Dumnezeu să-l binecuvintează. Și am spus, frate Piră, Așa cum ne-am rugat de prima dată, să te caute Dumnezeu, dacă n-a găsit pe altul, să vină să fie project manager și ne-a ascultat biserica, domnul rugăciunea bisericii, domnul va purta de grijă și pentru următoarea fază. Și iată că domnul poartă de grijă. În Evanghelia după Marcu ne aflăm la capitolul 2. Și în seara aceasta un tânăr care poartă numele acestui evanghelist, Marcus Miholeț. He will read the chapter from Mark 2 for us in English. Would you please stand up să ascultăm cuvântul Domnului. Mark chapter 2 in the ESV. 
And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned him within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. But there were many who followed him, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Now John's disciples and Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins, but new wine is for fresh wineskins. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain, and the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing that? Is what they are doing is not lawful on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you ever read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Amen. Două lucrări deodată. Ne bucurăm să vă reamintim că duminica aceasta ne-am propus împreună cu toată biserica ca să avem colecte speciale pentru departamentul de video, pentru îmbunătățirea și 
updating nevoilor noastre care le avem în departamentul de video și vreau ca să vă reamintesc de lucrul acesta și vreau să vă mulțumesc anticipat pentru că vrem să îmbunătățim programele noastre sunt vizionate atât live cât și în reluare așa cum s-a specificat și la alte programe și de aceea e timpul ca să facem aceste update-uri și vrem să facem deci colecta și în seara aceasta dedicată în direcția aceasta, dacă scrieți check vă rugăm ca să menționați numele bisericii și apoi la memo video. Dumnezeu să vă binecuvinteze. În timp ce ne vom închina cu darurile noastre de bunăvoie, de asemenea, vrem să salutăm în mijlocul nostru încă o dată tineri de-ai noștri și frați de-ai noștri, care s-au închinat Domnului altădată împreună cu noi, acum se închină în altă parte, frații Mudrenco. I would like to ask them to come forward și să cânte două cântări spre Sava Domnului, timp în care facem și colecta pentru lucrarea Lui Dumnezeu. Dumnezeu să vă binecuvinteze! Bevadai 
שם נמצא שם
עוד יישמע בהר יהודה ובחוצות ירושלים. עוד יישמע בהר יהודה ובחוצות ירושלים. כל ששון וכל כל התן וכל Oh, 
Dacă cumva cineva a fost încurcat, nu a fost engleză, da? Să să make sure. O limba ebraică, Dumnezeu să îi folosească mai departe. Beautiful voices. You must be Romanians, right? Yes. Corul mixt, girls group de asemenea și o cântare sau două worship team după care ascultăm mesajul din seara aceasta. Dumnezeu să ne binecuvinteze.
tears to quell my hopes to raise but what i need your word has said is ever only jesus you died you
sa În genunchezi la tronul tău În copleșit de uimire Scăldat în iubire Eu trăiesc doar pentru a te lăuda Eu trăiesc doar pentru a te John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. Ioan capitolul 4, versetele 23 și 24. The word of God says as follows, But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Amen. I invite you to be seated. I love that our church is teaching in series currently, and that our current series is a series on worship. This evening, I have the privilege of speaking specifically on the concept of worship, not the expression of worship specifically, but the, the actual concept, the actual substance, the foundation, the core of worship. And so the title of tonight's message is A Biblical Perspective on Worship. The text that I read, Jesus is sitting there and he's speaking And he says very specifically that the hour is coming and is now here. This is where he's sitting with the the Samaritan woman at the well before he reveals who he is. In the very next verses, the Samaritan woman says, I um, observe that you are a prophet. And we know that the Messiah is coming. And it's in the very next few verses that Jesus says, I, who you speak to, am he. And he reveals that he is the Messiah. But just before that, this conversation takes place, and Jesus says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now, spending some time before the Lord in prayer, spending a a tremendous amount of time before the Lord in research and and in study and um, on my knees, what really stands out in this text that I really enjoy is right there in the beginning where Jesus says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers. The fact that Jesus denotes that there are true worshipers identifies that there are false worshipers. Now, a worshiper is somebody who worships. A liar is somebody who lies. A builder is somebody who builds. And here Jesus is denoting that there is a difference between worshipers, not just who worship, but that are true worshipers, versus worshipers that would be qualified as not true worshipers. And he specifies clearly by giving a definition. He says, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will what? Will worship how? The Father in spirit and in truth. And then he goes on to say, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him don't have the option to, but the word of God says must worship in spirit and in truth. And what I'd like to do in the time that's allotted to me is I'd like us to take a look at two things. One of the easiest ways whenever you're you're doing a theological um, exegesis, a a study of the word, one of the the easiest steps in the beginning whenever you're you're arguing a point or you're trying to to really kind of divide and discern what it is that that something is or, or what the word of God is saying is to begin by identifying what the word of God is not saying, is to begin by identifying what worship isn't. And, and as we start to kind of separate some of the, the convoluted conversation that I think a lot of times happens around worship and, and, and uh, around the subject of worship and a lot of times around the verbiage that we use, it begins to become clearer and clearer. And then after that, I want to look at what worship is. And I'm going to do that over the next 19 minutes I'm praying. And so are you. 
So what biblical worship What biblical worship is not? And I want to look at two specific things. First and foremost, I think that it's extremely important to understand that biblical worship is not an action. Look at the text. Jesus says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now, don't get me wrong. We express our worship through action, of course. But the core, the foundation of worship is not an action. I want to read for you a different verse in Mark chapter 7, verses 6 and 7. Jesus is sitting there. And the Pharisees are nearby. And Jesus has some really heavy words, some weighted, pointed words for the Pharisees. Mark chapter 7, verses 6 and 7, Jesus speaking, he says, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, you hypocrites. That's harsh. These are the religious scholars, the people who were studying the word and waiting for the Messiah. And here was the Messiah sitting in the midst of them saying, And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites. That's harsh. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In the very next verse, Jesus says, In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. If you go back to the previous verse in Mark chapter 7, verse 6, I want you to pick up very clearly that Jesus says, This, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. If worship, if worship was an action, then the action of honoring God with their lips would have been sufficient. But Jesus is saying here that they have the right actions, but their heart is the issue. Their heart is what is far from me. Remember in the previous text that I was reading, it's, uh, Jesus is saying that he, the Father is looking for those who is, will worship him in truth and in spirit. Not in words, not in deeds, not in function, not in action. Even though those are the ways that we can express our worship. The Father is looking for those who will worship in truth and in spirit in our spirits, which is internal and in truth, in transparency and sincerity and honesty and openness in, in, in living in the truth of God's word and in righteousness. Worship is not an act. Now, I want you to understand, because I'm going to clarify, because can we worship God through act? Of course, that's how we express it. But I want you to understand that at the core of worship is not function, it's the heart. Worship is not an act of praying. Worship is not the act of singing. Worship is not the contemporary community singing like we did just before I entered into the message. Praying, singing, and reading the Bible are all actions in which we can falsely worship God or truly worship God. The action of me singing doesn't necessarily mean that I'm being genuine before the Lord. The action of me praying doesn't mean that I'm necessarily being genuine, that I'm worshiping God in genuinity. And I'd like to give you some examples. The action of praying or singing, or tithing, or attending service, or fellowship with the brethren, or whatever other thing we do as Christians, these are just vehicles through which we express our hearts. They are not the subject, they are the vehicle through which we come into God's presence. Don't misunderstand, every true worshiper prays, of course. Every true worshiper fasts. Every true worshiper forsakes, uh, doesn't forsake the fellowship of the brethren. Every true worshiper sings and tithes and serves and reads the Bible and does all of these things, but not everyone who attends church is a true worshiper. Did you know that demons attend service? They're not true worshipers. Not everyone who believes is a true worshiper. Because doesn't James chapter, what is it, chapter 2 verse 19 say that even the demons believe and tremble? They don't just believe like, 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 like a, a, um, an intellectual belief. They don't just believe like, yeah, I know of Jesus. They know who Jesus is. Isn't it true that as Jesus traveled all throughout the New Testament, the demons would say, we know who you are. Because they didn't just know of Jesus, they knew him. Even the demons believe. And so oftentimes, uh, I think that we get stuck in this box of thinking that, you know what, worship is, is a guaranteed, is an automatic, if I'm doing X, Y, and Z action. But the heart of worship is not found in the action. The expression of worship is found in our action, but the heart of worship is not there. Worship is not just an action in and of itself. 
The Pharisees had all of the right actions. They had the right prayers. They had the right, the right scripture reading. They had the tithing. They had the fasting. They had the uh, uh, church attendance. They had fellowship with the brethren. But their hearts were far from Jesus. Our worship before the Lord doesn't begin in our actions. It ends there. It begins inside of our hearts. You, you guys have been listening to me preach for the last 17 years. And I was hanging out with a friend of mine, a good, good friend of mine. And he asked me, he said, Eddie, have you figured out your, your style? What is your, are you more of a preacher? Are you more of a teacher? What are you? And you know what I realize? It, it's kind of hard because where my heart is, is in discipleship. What I'm always preaching, if you haven't picked up on this yet, is I'm always trying to take our focus off of the doing and focus on the heart of the issue, on the being like Jesus. Because if we can have healthy roots, then we'll have healthy fruits. Because if we can be, that the doing will flow out of that. And so it's the same focus even with worship. When you have a genuine relationship with Jesus, what flows out of it is genuine expressions of worship. And so worship, what it's not, it's not just an action. It's not just right living as far as everybody else sees. It's a right heart. God help us. Sometimes if we're not careful, we'll fall into a trap of thinking that worship is just an action. You ever sing a song? You ever sing a song in church with the worship team? Worship team, forgive us. You ever sing a song while you're thinking about what you're going to get for lunch? I have. Or dinner, as is tonight. I have. Not proud of it, but it happens. My mind will just travel. You ever read the Bible and get to the end of the page and think, I have no idea what I just read? I have. But if, if worship is action, then that should be sufficient. But it's not because my heart wasn't in it. It was just me going through the motions. You ever come to church, shake people's hands, check in with friends, sit down and mentally check out? It happens. Are you really engaging with God in those moments? No. If that is the entirety of our Christian relationship, then I would argue easily that we need to check ourselves if we genuinely have a relationship with the Lord that is real, that is living. If we're not vigilant, we'll make the mistake of, we'll mistake our actions for worship. Singing makes worship Singing, just the act of singing alone equates to worship, just like me and my wife living under a roof equates to a marriage. You understand what I'm saying? There's more to a marriage than just living in the same building. There's a relationship that has to exist there. And if I sing or I go through the motions or I attend, but I don't have a relationship with Christ, it's not going to get me any closer. You see, being in church makes you a Christian like being in a garage makes you a car. You understand? Those two things don't function together. The pre your presence in the building is not what makes us saved. It's his presence in us that makes the transformative change. And then worship is expressed out of that. So first and foremost, worship is not action alone. Those two things go hand in hand, but let's not mistake one for the other. The second thing that worship is not, worship is not done by our standard. Oh, this is so important. I felt so convicted going through this word. I, I really enjoyed that God was revealing this through me. Not through me, to me, through his word. And at the same time, horribly convicted because I started to assess my own life and wonder, God, am I doing that right here? Am I living rightly there? Worship is not something that I get to set the standard for. In Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, the sons of Aaron, the priest, Nadab and Abihu. It says, now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took a censer. A censer is like, like a, 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 a thing where, where they were able to bring incense before the Lord and, and, and um, create an atmosphere of worship before the Lord. The sons of Aaron each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. Unauthorized. Who authorizes? God. It says that these two priests who were ordained to be priests offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. In another translation, it says strange fire 
meaning foreign, which he had not commanded them, he being God. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. The purpose of the incense burners was for worship of God. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, Nadab or Abihu's idea to create the censer. Did you know that? It wasn't Aaron's. It wasn't Moses's. It wasn't Abraham's. It was God's. In Exodus chapter 30, God not only describes how he wants the, that, that he wants incense burners built, he describes how he wants them built. Then he describes a procedure about how he'd like them to proceed for the incense. Then he explains the purpose of it. And here you have these two ordained ministers who have this idea about, you know what, we're going to take the way that God designed us to worship him. We're going to take the way that God took all of the time to define how we're going to worship him. And we're going to create our own version, our own standard of how we're going to come before the Lord and worship him. And the fire came out of the censer and consumed them both. You know what's interesting? The idea of church wasn't my idea. The, the, the idea of ordination levels as pastor, as presbyter, as deacons, was not Church of God's idea. The idea of praying and fasting was not Frater Lesamoshi's idea. The idea of reading your Bible and the Holy Spirit coming down and baptizing and speaking in other tongues, the idea of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8, 9, and 10, not any man's idea. All of these things were God's idea. And yet sometime we, we come before the Lord and we think that we can take God's standard of the way that he established it, founded and based on his word and, and tailor it specifically to me. So that way I can live on my Christianity in some form or some version that's my version of God's standard and God won't have any of it. Because the reality is, is that the word of God has established for us how we are supposed to live as Christians. Tithing, not Eddie's idea. Fellowship with the brethren, not my idea. It's the Lord's. And if we are wise, then we will walk in such a way that will be congruent with the word of God. Listen, brothers, I, 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 I have to share this with you. Because I just feel the Holy Spirit impressing it upon me. When we take God's standard and we have the audacity, the foolishness to try to modify it to fit my life, the number one thing that's lacking is a fear of the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, it says that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. When we begin to stop fearing the Lord, when we begin to forget that God is all-powerful, all-consuming, that he is so much bigger than us, that with the breath of his nostrils he would consume entire nations, that this is God who spoke everything into existence, when we begin to forget, then we start to round in the corners of the gospel and we begin to tailor it to be able to fit us instead of surrendering ourselves to fit it. And it's a terrifying place to be. Why? Because when we begin to forget the fear of the Lord, we begin to lose wisdom. When we begin to lose wisdom, we become foolish, exceedingly foolish. The sons of Aaron were so foolish that it cost them their lives. We've got to live in such a way to where at the end of the day, the word of God has to be our foundation. Listen, there are a lot of things that I might have experienced in my life, but if it doesn't fit in the word of God, then I need to figure out how to modify my life through surrender before the Lord so he can transform me so I can fit into this. At the end of the day, this is our foundation. It's the word of God. We have so many pared and so many ideas and so many strange fires and winds and waves. And in the younger generation, there's a super charismatic movement. And in the older generation, sometimes I sit around it and I hear about how it was when you grew up. But at the end of the day, if it's not in the word of God, it doesn't matter. We have to build our foundation on the rock because when wind and wave comes and it will come, only he who is founded on the rock will remain standing. 
And I can't, I can't emphasize it enough. We can't create our own standard of worship before the Lord. When we do, we're fools. But when we're surrendered and living in a relationship with God, then God will lead us and we will arrive and achieve victory. Let me give you a second example. The institution of the church was not our idea. Let me give you a second example. Saul attempted the same thing in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Samuel the prophet gave the command to King Saul to destroy the Amalekites, even all of their animals, but Saul didn't. Do you realize that Saul was, 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 went out and tried to obey the Lord right to some degree where he killed all the Amalekites, but Samuel told them, you have to kill everything, all of the animals. And Saul thought, I'm going to one-up Jesus' command. I'm going to one-up God's command. I'm going to take a bunch of animals, and I'm going to kill them anyway. He said, kill them, I'll kill them. And I'm going to kill them, but I'm going to do it in sacrifice to the Lord. And ultimately, God leaves Saul and says that what I desired wasn't sacrifice, it was obedience. There is so much of God's plan that I don't understand. And when I try to limit what God wants to do in my life, based on my understanding... I end up finding justifications to change his will. You know what? Sometimes the Holy Spirit comes and convicts me and says, you know what, Eddie, you got to forgive so-and-so. You know, sometimes the Holy Spirit comes and convicts us and say, you have to ask for forgiveness from somebody else. The Holy Spirit oftentimes will come in my life and in your life as well and convict us. Maybe you got to be fasting more. Maybe God wants you to give more. Maybe God wants you to spend more time. Maybe God wants you to say yes to a ministry that you don't know if you have the time to be able to serve in the church and do. And what we'll do sometimes is we'll do exactly what Saul did. We'll say, you know what, God, I understand that you want me, you know, to, to, to tithe more. You want me to give more or, or you want me to sacrifice more of my time or you want me to say yes to this ministry and serve at Maranatha land or wherever. I know, I know God, that, that you're asking me to do that, but I'm just not ready for it yet. But instead, to make sure that my relationship is still good with you, I'm going to fast more. I'm going to pray more because God likes that. You know what's really interesting? I like to really serve God where I do well. I like to serve God where I'm strong, where I feel like I can really do a good job, where I have some experience, where I have some education. I like to serve God where, where I've done it for a while and where I'm comfortable. But it's really hard to serve God where you're not. But obedience begins in surrender. And you know, when we live our lives in such a way to worship the Lord, we can't change the standard of the way that we're going to live out our Christianity, our worship of God, the way that we view God needs to be in submission to him, not to my version, but to his. You want a New Testament example? Ananias and Sapphira. They sold all that they had like everyone else. They wanted to participate in worshiping God to the same degree like everyone else, but they kept some of the proceeds back for themselves, unlike everyone else. They wanted to have their own standard of Christianity. Everybody was giving everything and surrendering to the Lord. And they said, we want to be a part of that, but in our own way. And God had no tolerance for it. This isn't the Old Testament, God. This isn't the New Testament. This is an act. It's very important for us to understand that surrender doesn't have boundaries. We can't say, God, I'm going to surrender this to you, but this area I'm still working on. Are you in or are you not? I remember I was walking up a driveway once, and I heard the Lord speak to me. This is many years ago. I remember he, he spoke to me, and I, I stopped in my tracks. And he says, Eddie, did I purchase you with a price? And I said, well, he just stopped in my tracks. I said, yes, God. And he said, did I purchase all? I said, you, all of me. And he said, so why are you stealing from me? I said, what? I would never. What am I stealing from you? And he said, you know, your problems and your struggles, they were mine to purchase too. And you don't get to choose how I'm going to work on this and that and how I'm going to solve them. You got to give them to me. God wants certain portions of us 
that we haven't fully surrendered yet, and we can't live in worship. We can't worship God in truth and in spirit and be in his presence consistently without living to his standard of worship. So lastly, I just want to say this, because um, I'm short on time, but I do want to share this. I just want to talk about what worship is. Worship, there is no definition of worship, by the way, in Scripture. You know how, like, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the uh, substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So it kind of gives a definition to faith. There is no verse that says, Now worship is X. There isn't a definition for it. And so, so you, have to, you have to kind of summarize and put it all together and understand the differences between the verb and the adjective and, and kind of go through this process. And the best way that I've been able to define it and the best definition that I've found is worship is utmost reverence and esteem for God. It is a positioning of your heart. It is reverence, esteem, honor, adoration, love to the utmost. It is a heart status. It is not just an action, but it is expressed in our actions. Our expression of worship is the vehicle through which we convey what is in our hearts to God. Our expressions, you know, is, is, is singing and praying and fasting and tithing and fellowship. But here's what I want you to understand. So worship is the status of our heart, a heart that's full of reverence and fear before the Lord. And we express this through prayer and fasting and, and reading the word and, and, and fellowship and communion with the saints. We express this heart status. And that's what becomes worship. Worship is the heart status and the expression of it is, is through all of these different venues. But what I want you to understand is this, is worship is the status of your heart towards God. It can be and often is more than that because of our expressions of worship. It can be and often is, in fact, always should be more than that. But let me read it for you again. Expression is the status of your heart towards God. It can be more than that, but it can never be less. Did you understand that? I'm going to read it again. Worship is the status of your heart towards God. It can be more than that, but it can never be less. It can never be less. If our hearts are not rightly positioned before the Lord, if our hearts don't revere and fear and serve and obey and surrender and, and, and extol the Lord, then our actions, our expression can't flow out of something that isn't there. And then we just become, become these, these useless, you know, clanging symbols and these, these noises that we're making, but God isn't present in it. Worship is the status of your heart towards God. It can be more than that, but it can never be less. Worship is often measured by our expression. In John 14, 15, a verse that God has been just stirring up in my life for over the last 10 years. Such a, it's such a lovely verse. John 14, 15, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Every time I read it, it just, it just convicts me so heavily. Not to obedience, but to understand that what's in you will flow out of you. You know, in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, it says, right of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? What's in you will come out of you. And what I love about that verse is here's Jesus, and he's saying, if you love me, naturally, you know, you'll, you'll obey my commands. It'll, it'll flow out of you. There's such a great uh, uh, logic statement tool that Jesus uses there. It's an if-then statement. He says, if you love me, then you'll obey. And we use if-then statements all the time in natural speech. If you broke your leg yesterday, then you probably can't help me move today. If you just ate, then you probably won't go get some lunch together. If you're on a flight next weekend, then you probably won't be here for Sunday dinner. If-then, if-then. It's a simple, logical um, mechanism that we use whenever we're trying to communicate to other people, which is what Jesus is taking advantage of. If you love me, then it will be seen in the way that you live. If you esteem, honor, and adore God, then you will probably be a person who prays, attends church, tithes, fasts, sings, and so on. 
If someone has a heart of worship, then they should have these expressions in their life. If someone doesn't... Now, I want you to understand this. If you have a heart of worship, if you have a heart that esteems and reveres the Lord, if you have a heart that is surrendered before God, if you have a heart that, that, that is full of fear and reverence for the Lord, then naturally those expressions will come out of you. But if you don't have those expressions in genuinity, in, 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 in your spirit and in truth, if you don't have those expressions in your life, if you're praying and you're just going through the motions, then I would not try to focus on your actions. I would focus on your heart. I would, I would take a serious x-ray of myself. Your expressions are a great measure for where your heart is. If I'm not praying sincerely, if the only time I ever talk to the Lord is whenever I come to the institution of the church, I would wonder if I have more of a relationship between a boss and an employee versus a father and a son. You see, what God's desire is, is for us to enter into his presence. It's a heart transformation that he does. And then what, what happens inside will naturally flow out of us. So if there is an expression coming out of you that is genuine and real, if every single song that we sing, you're checked out, I would do a heart check. But what I want you to understand more so is this, is that it works one way, but not the other. Yeah. If you have the heart of worship, you will automatically have the expression of worship. If you have the heart of worship, you will automatically have the expression of worship. If you have a real supernatural experience with God, a transformational experience where you had prayed for something and you saw God answer, right? And you're, you're much closer that moment than you were with God an hour ago or a day ago or a month ago. If you spend time fasting and praying and being in God's presence and God meets you there, you have a natural, genuine expression. You have, you have a natural, genuine heart of worship before the Lord. Naturally, what will flow out of you is an expression of that worship. But here's what I want you to understand. It doesn't work in reverse. If you have the expression of worship, it doesn't automatically mean that you have the heart. If you have the expression of worship, I can show up to church. I can sing songs. I can make all of these expressions, all of these actions, but it doesn't automatically mean I have the heart. It works one way, but not in reverse. And it's important to understand that. The Pharisees had all of the right expressions, but their heart was far from God, like we saw in Mark chapter 7. So if you have a worshipful heart, there will be expressions of that adoration and love. Now, here's what I want us to understand, and this is the last thing that I'll mention, is the way that you assess those expressions is not by their frequency or their variety, but by their quality. It's not by their frequency or by their variety, but by their quality. The way that you assess the expressions that come out, the way that you assess your prayer life, your fasting life, your church attendance life, all of these different parts is by assessing not the frequency or the variety. You can come to church seven days a week. Does it make you a better Christian? It can. It should. But if you're closed in on the inside, it's not going to change a thing in your heart. You understand what I'm saying? You, you can have all of the right expressions, but you don't measure it by the frequency you know, I, I, I sat there, you know, I was talking with a young person. He said, you know, I read 10 chapters of the Bible today. I said, great, what'd you read? He said, I don't really remember. It doesn't mean much, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, you can read a, a, a frequency, a lot of scripture, but if you're not living it out, it doesn't matter. You can read a variety. You can read the Bible in six different books. You living it, is it applying to you? Is God speaking to you? Is there a genuine relationship that comes out of it? It doesn't really matter. So you don't measure by the frequency and you don't marry, measure your expressions by the variety which you measure them by the depth, and I'll explain what I mean. You ever pray a long prayer at a prayer service, but your mind was elsewhere? High quantity, low quality. You ever pray a one-sentence prayer? You ever been so in need of God that you just cried out to him in a couple of words, just saying, God, I just, I don't know what to do. Help. But it was in a place of really deep impact. Low quantity, 
You didn't pray for an hour, but depth, right? We can use the example in Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 13, right, where Jesus gives a parable, and he says the Pharisee came in, and he prayed to this really flowery prayer, and then the tax collector came in and said, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's it. He didn't have flowery words. He didn't have a variety of different things he prayed about. He didn't list off all of the checkboxes of everything that he did. He didn't have length of prayer, but he did have depth. He did have sincerity. He did come before the Lord, and he worshiped him in truth and in spirit. It wasn't external. It was internal. It was internal. You ever sing in church through all of worship and not connect with God, which happens sometimes, not because of the worship, but because of us, because where our hearts are. How about, you know, you're at home and you think of a sentence of a lyric and it moves you. And the last thing I want to just close with is just I want to read for you some lyrics of a song that moves me. If you've ever prayed for a long time for something, and I bet every person in this room that's a Christian has been praying for at least a few things for a long time. I've been praying for something for 19 years and I'm still waiting. I really didn't think it would take this long. I really thought that within five or six years, my prayer would have been answered. And as time progressed and I grew and I learned more, I realized it's going to take more than a couple of years. This might take like a decade. And then a decade passed, and then 15 passed. And now we're on 19 years. Next year it'll be 20 years that I've been praying for one thing very specifically. I pray for a lot of things, but this one thing. I remember praying for my little brother Joe. I prayed for him for 10 years, one month, and 11 days. I prayed for him a lot. Until eventually God answered that prayer. But I'll tell you what, 10 years, one month, and 10 days, 10 days, the day before, I didn't know if anything was going to change. I didn't know nine days, I didn't know if anything was going to change. You know, it was one of those things that, God, it's been a decade, is it going to be another one? I remember I was in Reading, Pennsylvania, and I was talking to the Lord, and I was just telling him about the future. And I said, God, I don't know if I, I said, I'm, I'm not giving you an ultimatum. The last 10 years have been amazing, but they've also been hard. I don't know if I got another 10 in me like the last 10. And I was just being real honest before the Lord. You ever come before the Lord with something you've been praying about for a long time? When I read the lyrics to this verse, it speaks to me in such a way because it resonates with that depth. The song is Do It Again by Elevation Church. It says, walking around these walls, I thought they'd fall by now. But you have never failed me yet. Waiting for change to come, knowing the battle's won, for you have never failed me yet. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You've never failed me yet. I know the night won't last your word will come to pass. My heart will sing your praise again. Jesus, you're still enough. Keep me within your love. My heart will sing your praise again. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You've never failed me yet. You see, the expression that we have out of a relationship with God is where we're able to interact with God in worship. But it begins out of a heart that is full of reverence, that is surrendered, that is pursuing God, not just in works and in actions, but in a surrendered life, in a life that is full of fear of God, that is full of surrender, that is a pursuit of worshiping God in your spirit and in sincerity and in honesty. God help us. I love you, church. Amen. O venit înaintea Domnului în rugăciunea de încheiere.
să-i aduce mulțumire pentru ziua de azi, pentru că El ne-a binecuvântat. O întrebare. Te-ai și închinat dacă ai venit la biserică? M-am închinat dacă totuși am venit aici? Și ce bine e că Domnul are milă de noi și Duhul Sfânt ne conștientizează ca să putem să ne închinăm cu adevărat înaintea Domnului trebuie să ne rugăm ca inima noastră să fie fixată de Creatorul nostru. Să ne rugăm ca El să curățească și să ne spele în sângele Său. Să ne dea acea atitudine și dragoste ca relația noastră cu Tatăl Cere să fie de părinte și relația între copil și părinte este totdeauna de o calitate deosebită. Pentru că și copilul simte, după cum și părintele simte, așa este Tatăl nostru Ceresc. Și am venit, aș dori să venim la această rugăciune, să-i mulțumim pentru lucrarea care El o face printre noi, dar să ne rugăm ca Domnul să lucreze și noi. Ca închinarea noastră să fie plăcută înaintea Lui Dumnezeu, pe lângă dedicația noastră care e importantă, Și închinarea noastră să fie primită înaintea Domnului. Aș vrea să ne rugăm pentru cei care sunt afectați de coronavirus. Mulțumim Domnului că noi n-am ajuns la numerele care se află în alte țări, dar compătimim. Ne rugăm pentru cei care sunt în Italia, pentru cei care sunt în China, în America, pentru toți cei care poate intră în această stare de panică. Noi vrem să ne credințăm viața în mâna Domnului și spunem, Doamne, facă-se voia Ta, dar bunătatea Ta am dorit să fie peste noi, peste casele noastre, peste familiile noastre, ca apoi închinarea noastră să fie primită înaintea Ta. Cu toții ne rugăm Domnului, Tatăl nostru. That the highest king would welcome me I was lost but he brought me in Oh his love 